And welcome to Fascinating Nouns. Now, if you are listening to this transmission, we are still the galaxy's most trusted source for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. Now, together we arrive at this curious nexus point, and we will explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. Hello, Fascination. Welcome to the show. So you know I love rabbit holes, and boy, do I have a great one for you this week. We're going to discuss chick tracks. So for those of you who know what they are, uh, I bet you just cannot wait for this. If you don't know, let me tell you. They are small little religious pamphlets, comic books, really, uh, palm-sized, and you may find them everywhere in your neighborhood. If you live in a big city, you may find them on a phone booth, if they still exist, at your gas station, uh, in, in a parking lot. Who knows? They're, they're distributed secretly and silently across an entire city, and they're religious in nature designed to help you find salvation. Well, I tripped over one when I was a kid, and that led into a full-fledged fall down the Jack Chick, Chick Track rabbit hole that we're going to discuss to say. Easy for me to say, right? Uh, we can't talk to Jack directly, uh, but we are going to talk to the one man who has really been following this phenomenon for quite a long time and might be the world's expert on chick tracks, and that's Kurt Kersteiner. I can't wait. I got so much to ask him about. Let's jump, jump right into this. Kurt, thank you so much for being on the show today. So first of all, I love your name, Kurt Kersteiner. Uh, there was, a, it's such a, it's such a powerful name, you know, I mean, besides the, you know, the connection to Frankenstein, but there were these two, there's wrestling, uh, you always go to pro wrestling. I don't know if you've been able to watch my shows at all, but I, I love pro wrestling oh, yeah. and the Steiner brothers, uh, were, were a fantastic tag team. I'm sure no relation, but you know, maybe you, do you have a long list Probably of, of su- successful physical abilities in your family? Anything like that? Frankenstein was pretty no. tough too. No, nothing like that. But uh, Kirsteiner is actually a Swiss name. And when you really get right down to it, there's very few people who have immigrated from Switzerland because they haven't had a war in 500 years. You know, they've been neutral right. all that time. <laughs> right. And yeah, yeah. war is a major driving force for immigration in Europe. So yeah, uh, you go over to uh, Switzerland and there's a lot of Kirsteiners, but over here there's like only about a dozen or so. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, Most of them are brothers and sisters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. We have eight in our family, just in immediate brothers and sisters. Uh, so this is kind of interesting. While I was doing research on you, uh, I stumbled across uh, – well, I didn't stumble across this. I, you may know this, but I did a whole Fascinating Nouns episode on the Church of the Subgenius. Got Reverend Stang on the show. Uh, a lot of fun. I mean, just a, just a, a wild character. And, of course, I watched his uh, the documentary on it, the Church of the Subgenius, Sect, Satire, or Satanism. Uh, what I didn't know – is that you appear in that. You you are a, a member of the the Holocaustals. You're Papa Joe Mama. You show up on there. Uh, you look kind of like Papa Shango from, from the WWE. Uh, that was really cool. I had no idea. So I went back and had to watch the documentary over again to see that. How did that start? How did your connection to um, Reverend Stang kind of develop? Because he also appears in your documentary, which we'll also talk about. 
Well, it's kind of interesting because uh, my whole involvement with uh, Chick Tracks and finding out about Chick Tracks happened at the exact same time that I was finding out about the Church's Subgenius. Oh, cool. And that's because uh, my father was a uh, music dean at FSU, which was right there in my hometown. would have been extremely inexpensive to go to that university, but it was a little too close to home. So I instead <laughs> went to Auburn, Alabama, which was— uh-huh. We call it the the buckle to the Bible belt. It's very, very conservative and very, very fundamentalist. The Mariatha House, and there's chick tracks there. I'd never seen chick tracks before, but uh, I didn't realize that there were so many different ones because I kept getting the same one. This was Your Life, which was a very common track of his. And uh, I thought, boy, this would be a great idea if somebody were to do this with you know other things. And then at the same time, 1985, which is when I was there, uh, I started hearing this thing on Nightlight about the Church of the Subgenius. And I thought, wow, that's that's pretty strange and weird, too. And, you know, there was they, you couldn't get more polar opposites. But uh, I sent in some stuff uh, to them just as kind of a lark. And they mm-hmm. liked it a lot and asked me yeah. to uh, do things with the radio. And since I was with the college radio station, I was doing that simultaneously. But it was years later, 1999, when I got I discovered that Jack Chick had done all these different uh, comics. That's when I went and did the deep dive into his realm. Got it. So you were, you had the connection. So when you did the actual documentary, you had the connections because there seems to be a lot of overlap because, you know, you interview Reverend Stang and he talks about, you know, kind of in some ways being inspired uh, by the Chick Tracks. Which, oh, absolutely. Which, yeah. Which is which is it's a cool uh, it's such a cool crossover. Right. I mean, I saw all of these interesting. It's like Chick, Chick Tracks kind of pollinated a lot of different. Uh, almost parodies of religion. I, mean, I think his goal was to spread religion, but in a lot of ways he created a counterculture against it, which is kind of fun. Uh, but we'll get into Chick Tracks in a second, which is obviously going to be the center of what I want to talk to you about. But you do a couple of other really cool things, uh, you know, not the least of which is Monster uh, Monster Wax Trading Cards, where you have... <laughs> so I think this is, if my research is right, you're the oldest American card company still in business, exclusively printing non-sports trading cards. So tell me yes, just so quickly how that started. And, you know, so non-sports, obviously not baseball, football, basketball, right? right? Yeah. Not, it's not a, a very specialized niche. Yeah, right. most trading card companies like Tops and the big people who have been around for, you know, since the 1940s and 50s uh, make their bread and butter off of sports cards. But they dabble in non-sports during the off-seasons of the, you know, the time of the sports. Uh, we don't do sports at all. We're exclusively non-sports. I think that's it's almost like a comic books but in trading card form. And mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's, it's, I always am fascinated by it because it's a, it's a wonderful storyboard. And that's actually when I got involved in trading cards is when I went to film school. And I noticed this about oh, you. You had also gone to film school. And while I was there, I thought, I'd love to have a, some sort of source of income while I'm here, but I can't really <laughs> afford to go and do a regular job. Right. So I started making trading cards at that time, 1992. And I've just kept doing it ever since. It's very mobile. It allows me, I can work on it while I'm here in Taiwan. And uh, since, you know, when you do film school, storyboards are a big, big part of the preparation. Absolutely. It's almost like a, a normal part of our storytelling process. So it was a, a great uh, uh, learning uh, uh, indoctrination on how to make trading cards, really. Just 
just publish your storyboards. Right, right. And that's kind of what you did. I mean, so you have a whole series on H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, and I did uh, one of my favorite Fascinating Down series is on H.P. Lovecraft, uh, the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society. And I interviewed S.T. Joshi. So I've got a little, you know, I've got a, a soft spot in my heart for all things Elder God. Uh, and They've done a great a series of radio dramas for that as well. I don't know if you've heard any of those. The H.P. Uh, uh, Lovecraft Historical Society has done some wonderful right. radio dramas. We yeah. actually, one of the episodes we did, we have part of one of those. So if people want to check oh, okay. it out, you can. I'll put a link to it so you can listen to to a part of it. Uh, yeah, they do some. Uh, they're incredible. Uh, they're fantastic. And I know here's a teaser, hopefully for the future. But I know that you are really into radio dramas. You just wrote a book on old time the the history of horror themed radio shows, and you run the longest uh, the Terror of Tallahassee, the longest running commercial haunted house attraction in Tallahassee. Uh, we do a whole thing in October. Maybe you'll come back and we'll t- we'll talk all things horror uh hopefully you're, oh, you're up for that, for that. yeah i would love mm-hmm. to do that um because i think we could spend hours talking about the things that you're interested in uh, and we got to talk about jack chick because i have 13 pages of notes to get through kurt mm-hmm. uh because he is a fascinating individual and so i've got kind of an interesting story how this how i stumbled across this i'm a big avid stuff you should know listener which is another podcast I don't normally promote other podcasts on my show because they don't know I exist, but that's the kind of guy that I am. I'm feeling I'm feeling really friendly today. And so they, you know, there's this guy in there who, who who recommends kind of obscure documentaries, and I am a, a documentary lover. And he mentioned one called God's Cartoonist. So I mm-hmm. watched this and I was like, this is a really interesting story because I will tell you that I have a This Is Your Life Chick Track right here. Uh-huh. And that, so that's how I heard about, that's how I got reintroduced to Chick Tracks. Now, I will admit at the time, I didn't realize that you directed that movie until I watched <laughs> the credits and saw your name come up. So <laughs> I'm just going <laughs> to admit that. So I'm super happy that you're on the show. Uh, but let's let's talk. I'm going to, uh, in a minute, I'm going to talk about how I came across Chick Tracks. I want to hear, first of all, how you came across them, how you were introduced to them. And if you could, in your answer, include what the heck a track is and who Chick is, by the way. Well, the uh, tracks themselves, basically, they're roughly the size of a dollar bill. They're three by five inches, and they're 24 little-page booklets. Now, a lot of people have encountered tracks, you know, usually people ranting about politics, maybe religion, who knows what. But you usually just kind of glance at them and Mm -hmm. then throw them away, unless it's something that you're particularly interested in. Chick tracks, on the other hand, are, are, are completely cartoon infested. Mm-hmm. They do have text in them, and sometimes they have little rants on the bottom footnotes or maybe even a quarter of the page or something, but they're dominated with these pictures. And they have two different artists. They actually have three, but the third one's a mysterious person that's uh, very controversial as to who he actually is, but we mm-hmm. can talk about that later. Mm-hmm. But Jack Chick has a style very similar to um, the Peanuts cartoon style, right. whereas Fred Carter, the uh, black uh, uh co-artist that he brought in out of Chicago does hyper-realistic cartoons and is a phenomenal artist. Mm -hmm. So he has all his bases covered. And then the uh, (laughs) topics that he does, that this was your life, which you have, Mm -hmm. his most commonly uh, released uh, track, that's a very religious theme one. You might even just 
from the title, guess what it's about? Somebody dies, goes up to heaven, has his life reviewed in a giant screen before him, and then realizes that he could either go to heaven and hell, and because he wasn't a saved Christian, he goes to hell. But he could have gone to heaven if he had just done these things. Right. And that right. has yeah. made a big impression to people. Yeah. Meanwhile, the other ones uh, that have the conspiracy theory themes, those go just the full gambit of different things. In fact, uh, horror is a very common theme in Chick Tracks. Uh, I think Jack Chick is a frustrated, a frustrated horror fan in a lot of ways because he <laughs> right. he, he, he dives into that so many often, uh, so often. Yeah. So uh, I encountered this was your life at a Maranatha House pass out, where a Maranatha House is kind of a, a Christian fraternity, and uh, you know the main the main qualification to be a Maranatha is that you have to be a fanatical fundamentalist Christian. I say fanatical. That's yeah, I was going to say, how do they determine that? Is that on the, the checklist when you walk in the door? <laughs> it's a little redundant, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> right. No, it's just, you know, you need to be a very hardcore, conservative, fundamentalist Christian to be in Maranatha House. They don't want anybody who's an Episcopalian to be in the Maranatha House. Right, that makes sense. So, uh, yeah. So uh, they pass these things out. And I thought, you know, this is crazy, but it's also kind of addictive. So and that's another interesting thing about Chick Tracks. People who don't agree with the things that he espouses still end up being fascinated with with them and collecting right. them or right. at least reading them <laughs> and passing them on sometimes. I mean, right. this probably happens a lot in Los Angeles. Yeah. So uh, it's the cities where they have the biggest, uh, you know, shock uh, impact. A lot of places in the small towns have these chick tracks, and they just don't make the waves because it's sort of like, eh, been there, done that, I already know that, this isn't surprising. But for people in the big cities, this is oftentimes the first time they've confronted some of these uh, belief structures, uh, very orthodox, uh, stringent uh, Christian beliefs. Yeah. Well, you mentioned well, you, you, what's interesting. I, I just want to cut in here real quick because you mentioned the people who love them. It's kind of similar to Howard Stern and Private Parts, where the people who love him listen to him for an hour and a half, and the people who hate him listen to him for two and a half hours. Uh, the people who like Chick Tracks, uh, basically, I think in in uh, I was reading your you have a Kickstarter where you actually w- wanted to produce some of the um, uh, the, the previously unreleased or or uh, out of print Chick Tracks. And on there, you say three people who love or are familiar with Chick Tracks. The ones who love Jack Chick tracks they're usually christians and fundamentalists the people who hate chick tracks non-christians and atheists and those who love the chick tracks but hate what they say which in a lot of ways that covers 95 percent of the population so anyone can be into these i mean i totally understand it yeah in fact the uh people who enjoy chick tracks the most or collect them the most ardent collectors tend to be either catholic jewish or gay or Jewish gays or Catholic gays. You right, know, it's a combination of, of all three. I'm still yeah, waiting right. to find the guy who's all three. That would be great. <laughs> but uh, right. why, why do they love them so much? Because they're the target of so many chick tracks. And they just find, you know, that he's so over the top that they don't really particularly feel like they're threatening. Right. But at the yeah. same time, they like to show them to their friends and say, look, you look I'm a victim. I'm, I'm persecuted. See, here's yeah. my chick track proof, you know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and I'll tell you, in Los Angeles, there might be, I think there are, you will probably find several who are all three who are also chick track collectors. So, I mean, the largest contingent of groups, I think, are gay, Jewish. What was the other one? Uh, Catholic. Catholic. I don't know about Catholic so much. I don't know what that percentage is, but I feel like that that Venn diagram is here in the city. So uh, come back. We'll, we'll, we'll find we'll find you somebody. We'll introduce him to Chick Tracks. Uh, and you are you mentioned collecting. You are a collector, and I believe oh, yeah. 
you started the Chick Track Club. So you, mm-hmm. you know, are you the president and founder and president like that? Or do you? Um... No, I'm the vice president. The president okay. is Rich Lee, who actually knew Jack Chick from when he was a kid. No he just said he's a, he's half Chinese, half American, hmm. uh, or I mean, he's, you know, half white, half Chinese. And he sent in a, a picture of himself and said, you know, he really liked Chick Tracks. And Jack Chick, uh, you know, he served in the Pacific. So he always had a very special interest in, in Asian culture hmm. and that sort of thing. In fact, right. he ended up marrying uh, his second marriage was to a, a Chinese uh, Indonesian uh, woman. And uh, he stroke up a uh, he started up a, a pen pal uh, conversation with this Reverend Rich Lee and basically sort of mentored him all the way through his college years in which uh, Rich became uh, a pastor hmm. and he also became a lawyer. So uh, <laughs> he's the president and he introduced me to Jack Chick. I think that's the reason I was able to meet Jack Chick because uh, Rich Lee basically vouched for me and said, you know, hey, you know, he's not a fundamentalist Christian, but he's going to treat you fairly. And right. that's what we what we try to do. And for Jack Chick, he doesn't expect people to, uh, I think he'd be very open to any sort of media coverage if he just thought that they would, you know, do it fairly. He sure. doesn't expect them to come across like the Christian Broadcast Network. Yeah. But what he doesn't like is like MSNBC, you know, doing a, a hit piece on Donald Trump. He doesn't like You're playing right. the Donald Trump part. <laughs> yeah, that makes perfect sense. I mean, Look, uh, sensationalism grabs eyeballs. Nowhere is that more sure. apparent than than in this this culture. So I totally understand that that fear. Uh, you know, it's interesting because so I found Chick Tracks when I was a kid. So my grandmother was very Catholic, and I somehow came across this is your life. If you're watching this on uh, YouTube, Daniel J. Glenn backslash YouTube, I'll put links to the uh, the video version of this interview where I'm going to quickly show you uh, a couple of pictures from This Is Your Life that I have. So this is not the original one that I, that I had when I was a kid, but the one that I had as a kid really fundamentally, profoundly affected me because they're terrifying. Uh, you know, you, it's basically the story of a guy who dies, goes to heaven and is having a conversation and basically justifying some things that he did in his life that anyone could do. I think he kind of checks out, you know, uh, an attractive woman in a window. I think he's, you know, not nice to people, swear. Yeah, these things that everybody does. Uh, you know, God knows. Well, and don't forget that the, the really bad sin that he does is during the church service, he looks at his watch and thinks, you know, I wonder what's playing on the on the game. You know? <laughs> right. As a fantasy football fan, you know, as a recent football convert, uh, I understand that as well. So, yeah, I mean, in these things, this, this accumulation of events sent him to hell. So I saw this, and as a you know seven eight year old, I, I was traumatized and terrified. Uh, eventually, you know, I grew up and it grew out of it. But that 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 memory of this of this comic book, I didn't know it was called a Chick Track, but this memory, of this comic book, affected me. And while I was in Los Angeles, maybe six or seven years ago, I was getting gas at my local gas station that I've been going to forever, and sitting on top of the counter was this one that I'm showing you now, this particular booklet of This Is Your Life. Now, at the time, I thought it was the only one. How wrong was I, Kurt? Uh, As you mentioned, it was the most popular, but... You made the same mistake I made in 1985 when I encountered (laughs) it. I thought, boy, in fact, I remember thinking... I wish he'd do more of these. <laughs> right, I didn't realize yeah, yeah. even at that time he had done dozens. Right. At this time, he's done close to 300 different ones. That's insane. Uh, but at that time, it was probably close to uh, 100 that, or so. That, I would that's have, amazing. If, and if I had started collecting back then, I would have gotten them all so much easier. <laughs> right. But I encountered another track of his at Auburn. It was called Holocaust. Okay. And it was done by Fred Carter. 
And it was about how the Holocaust was basically engineered by the Vatican, who was actually trying to commit an uh, inquisition against the Jews, and they were using Hitler to do it. And it was very conspiratorial, and a lot of people would not agree with the sentiments, even though there are elements of the historical accuracy in it, right. because the Vatican at that time was behind enemy lines. It was Mussolini had conquered you know, all oh, of Italy, right, because yeah, right. he was Italian. Right, right. And, uh, and so uh, I guess it was... Uh, Pius uh, was a Pope Pius who had to basically toe the line and you know not speak out against uh, Hitler or Mussolini, and so uh, Chick uh, encapsulated that in his track and said, "Look, look, they're completely sympathetic toward Adolf Hitler and, and Mussolini," and I thought this is a great uh, conspiracy track, and it's kind of similar to the, "This Was Your Life," but it's obviously a different company because a completely different artist. <laughs> I didn't realize right. it was the same one. Yeah. So wow. Yeah, I wish I knew. Uh, but 1999 is what, almost uh, 15 years later, I discovered he had done all these hundreds of, of different tracks. And I said, I've got to get all of these if I can. Yeah, that, I mean, that's amazing because, you know, reading, you have a great book as well uh, called The Unofficial Guide to the Art of Jack Chick. And that, you know, so that's a, a fascinating book, which is a companion to your documentary. I mean, if you, th I mean, I fell down a rabbit hole here, right? I mean, because there's there's so many things that that are cool about this. The first is that there's an invisible free distribution infrastructure, right? I mean, the people who are sending these out for free, they get them ch cheap. Jack Jack Chick produces them cheaply right here in Rancho Cucamonga uh, in Los Angeles, right outside Los Angeles and gives them away cheaply to be distributed for free. Uh, you know, and that's also interesting is that this conservative propaganda, I mean, it's propaganda. We can, we can call it that. This propaganda empire is completely centered in liberal Los Angeles, California, which is also a strange phenomenon. Um, and then you have Jack Chick is a fascinating individual that tracks themselves, these comic books, which is really what a tract is, these little um, uh, dollar bill-sized tracks, I guess. You probably have a better way to describe them. Yeah, uh, comic little, booklets. Yeah, but those are, you know, they have the the religious version, and then there's these conspiracies that, that he was into, which is, to me, this is, as far as interesting topics goes, this is a home run, Kurt. Uh, this is, I mean, I fell down the rabbit hole here. Uh, and I think what I came up with, and I want to get your response to this, is what I came up with is that Jack, Tr Jack Chick kind of grew up in Los Angeles. You know, he didn't really go far outside of Los Angeles. And I think he was a terribly well-meaning individual. I think he wanted to do good and was on a mission and had this passion. But I think he was kind of a naive and a very gullible person who let these people in, who kind of warped his vision. That's what I came away with. Did you get that sense as you were looking into all of this? Uh, you know, because this is the founder. This is the creative center of this, this whole empire. Well, um, I'm always reminded how the people who are most nervous about getting, getting their houses broken into are burglars. People <laughs> right, who yeah. do that sort of thing. Right. And the people who have never stolen anything from anyone are the ones who are most likely to leave their doors unlocked. And this is kind right. of where Jack Chick comes from. He, he's never – he's not a liar. He's not a deceiver. He's completely honest. And so when somebody approaches him who appears to be completely honest and sincere, he tends to give them the benefit of the doubt. Right. And the other part that makes him uh, susceptible to this or if you uh, think that he's correct, right. that makes him aware of this right. is that 
when you look at fundamentalism, it actually makes complete sense that there's conspiracies because, you know, I was raised Episcopalian, which is, you know, hardly even Protestant. We still have the Eucharist and, you know, the, <laughs> right, yeah. all the rest of the stuff that the, the Catholics have. Yeah. In fact, we call it Catholicism light. It's basically sure, all the sure, guilt sure. but none of the Pope. You know, that's <laughs> kind of where right. it comes from. Yeah, yeah. But um, uh, lo and behold, you know, with fundamentalism, uh, it's a literal belief in the, the Bible. So, you know, Adam and Eve and the Noah's Ark and everything, that's, that's not symbolic. That's real. And so is Satan. And what does Satan do? Satan basically deceives people. And, you know, you can read the Bible from front to back, and there's nowhere in there where there's an expiration date on Satan's machinations. Right. He's still active today, and he's still doing these things. So if all you have to do is put yourself in his position and say, if you were Satan, would you sit back? And not do anything? Or would you do things like make these terrible TV shows that corrupt people? Would right. you get involved in the Vatican and right. try to pervert the, the church from the inside out? Yeah, that's exactly what you would do because that's what governments do to other governments yeah. and checks aware of that. So it all kind of makes total sense to him. So when somebody comes forward and says, hey, I was a ex-Jesuit priest and here are my credentials right. and he shows them documentation that verifies it, at least in chick he wants to believe it, so he's going to believe it. And and I have to say, in the case of Alberto, which I'm sure we'll talk to you about later, hopefully, there's a, you know it's kind of hard to disprove that he's he's a fraud. I mean, on a on a common sense level, you could say well, it can't be true, but on a a, a fundamentalist level, it's it's very believable because right. uh, if you were Satan, that's just the sort of thing you do. Yeah, I think you know I think that is that's it really interesting because you know I, I've done a couple of projects on on communities who kind of go all in on on philosophies or um, you know books that kind of tell people something that they already believe and so this was a super interesting rabbit hole to go down because I think you're right I mean we, people tend to be very judgmental especially when something seems kind of wacky or out of place or someone gets fooled by a con man let's say and we're very judgmental about oh how you know how dumb are you what yeah how could you get fooled by something like that but when something so perfectly explains everything that you think, it is easy to start believing that. And I think if you are a, a person like Jack Chick who's religious, who wants to believe the best in people, I think it is very easy. And in some ways it's endearing, right? I mean that he really believes these people. And it's also surprising. Another weird thing here, Kurt, is that he was fooled and he grew up in Los Angeles. I mean there's no – you want to talk about the center of Satanism or the center of uh, deceit. That, that's Satanism. But you know that, that idea that we love life's pleasures, hedonistic pleasures or people who like to deceive other people. You find all of those values here in Los Angeles. And so it's surprising that he didn't encounter that anywhere before. Mm-hmm. Well, I had a friend – uh, I, I'm I'm pretty I'm a pretty skeptical person, an academic background, and you know if I had these weird beliefs, I wouldn't admit them. But um, in the case of something like UFOs, you know, do I believe that there's life on other planets? Yeah, I believe there's life on other planets. Do I believe that there's intelligent life on other planets? Probably, statistically, it seems likely. Do I believe that UFOs are here in the USA now? No, I don't believe that, and I never did believe that until I had a friend who was a very sincere person who I believe completely, and I told him about this. And he went, oh, no, they're real. I saw one right outside my window. And then he recounts his story about when he was a child. Him and his mother saw this UFO right, right outside their window. Right. Now, you know, I, the reason I don't believe in UFOs is because I never saw one. 
But now I've met somebody who swores up and down on their mother's grave that they saw this thing and that their mother saw it. And it's a little hard for me to say, hey, it's impossible at that point. And that's what I love about a lot of the Chick Track conspiracies. Do I believe them? Most of them I do not. But I can't, I wouldn't want to swear my soul to eternal damnation <laughs> that I knew for a fact that they couldn't be true because right. there is that one chance. Right. You know? No, that's great. I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, it's funny because I was just talking to someone today. Uh, my grandmother, when I was young, bought me this chain. She was Catholic. And on it, it says, you know, I'm a Catholic, call a priest to get your last rites, which is a sacrament. In Catholicism, you have seven sacraments uh, that help you get into heaven. I don't actually understand if you have to do all seven. I don't remember. But I do know that I was saying, well, it can't hurt. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> if, if that's going to get me into heaven, sure, let's do it. Right. I mean, you know, what? why not? And that's kind of what's cool about a lot of these chick tracks, which we'll get into in a second, is, is that you basically just have to say, yeah, I believe. Sorry for everything in the past. I believe in Jesus in heaven. And I think that you kind of get a free pass. Right. And this is very appealing to people. Um, and that's kind of a. a I can see why people people are into this. So let's talk about the man himself, Kurt. Let's talk about Jack because he's also, you know, an enigmatic person. He seems to be there isn't a lot of information on him. You know, you mentioned that there's two published pictures of him. One is his high school yearbook picture. One is when he graduated the Pasadena Playhouse. Uh, so there's not a lot of information. And yet this guy is the most published author alive. I think you put the statistic that he's got more, he sold more than uh, J.K. or published more. I don't know what the statistic is, but more than J.K. Rowling and Stephen King combined, which is, these are oh, insane. Oh, yeah, he's now, that was an old statistic. Now it's over a billion that he's published. Wow. Uh, one that, that that's with the B, you know. Yeah. Right. And the uh, big one. You know, it's uh, it's astounding. Most of I think Rollins was like six hundred million or something like that. Uh, so now, granted, those are you full can books. Though. And, those are full books. Exactly. Yeah. I was about to say you could say, well, those are full books. You yeah. know, it, you know, you can't. He a track is only twenty four pages. Yeah. But a, pack, a track is all drawn. It takes a, you know, a good month or so to do that. But the more important thing, which I think it, he deserves credit for this, is if you look at it from the standpoint of influence, he wins hands down. Yeah. Because how many lives have been changed by reading a Rollins book or a Stephen uh, King book? Yeah, there's been some people whose lives have changed, but not near as many whose lives have changed from reading Jack Chick book. From, so from, from a standpoint of influence... This guy has not only put out the most material, he's had the biggest impact. And some people would say, well, is it a good impact or is it a bad impact? Well, I'll leave that up to other people to decide. But certainly he believes that it's been a, a very important, uh, you know, he, he talk about Schindler's List. This is the guy who probably is responsible for uh, millions of people making it to heaven as far as his, you know, dynamic of what it takes to get into heaven. Right, right. Yeah. So. No small potatoes there. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. Uh, I mean, it's very interesting. I will say, so you got to meet Jack. Uh, I don't normally ask this this early, but were you okay to do a, a bonus episode after this one about your meeting with Jack Chick? Because I'd love to go into that. Uh, we can't go into it here, but if no, you've got sure. 10 minutes or so. All right, so we're going to do that later. So we're going to talk about how you met this guy, this this you know perfectly historically elusive guy. Uh, but, you know, you did dig up a little bit. And so I think he was. Let, 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 can I can I interrupt just a second? You said there's only two pictures of Jack Chick. Yeah. I should point out that since his death, yeah. the floodgates have opened up. They oh, did a right? whole book. But David Daniels has done one called "You Don't Know Jack," 
and it has pictures of him, and it talks a lot about things that people didn't realize about him and his, uh, his biography, if you will. And uh, it's very interesting reading. But the reason that Jack wouldn't even allow me to take a picture of him, I said, can I take a picture just for myself? I won't publish it or anything. He said, nah, I've got too many people relying on me. I can't take that risk. And, and he did feel you know, that his life was in danger. And they actually have bulletproof uh, uh, windows there at Chick Publications. And there have been people who have shot at the building and wow. broken one of those windows with bullets. Now, maybe it was just a random drive-by that had nothing. They didn't even realize it was Chick Publications. Who can know? Right. But, you know, he, he, had, uh, he was concerned for his safety. And for that reason, he just didn't want people to know what he looked like so that they can harass him on the street. Right. And that makes perfect sense. But, I mean, it does create this illusion of mystery, you know, where you almost oh, yeah. don't even know what he looks like because those were, you know, 50, 60 years old. Right. Um, but so you kind of dug up this cool statistic that when he was in grade school that he was disliked by his fellow Christian students because he swore a lot and they thought he'd be the last person on earth to accept Jesus, you know, and it was just such a funny way to begin. Uh, but, you know, he's, you know, he ends up, there's a lot missing just like there's a lot missing in Jesus's life uh, between, what, baby and 33. Uh, there's a lot missing in Jack Chick's life, uh, also initials JC. Uh, and he ends up at the Pasadena Playhouse, again, down the street from, from where I live, and he wanted to become an actor. And this is kind of interesting because he, go he goes there, and I think this is in a lot of ways where he learned his the ability to entertain and what it took to bring in the attention of an audience. I don't know if that's true, but I feel like that's kind of where he learned it or at least had a knack for it early on. And then he left to go into the army, saw tons of, you know, heinous images of mass casualty, which he used in his Armageddon uh, imagery. And, you know, he ends up graduating in 1948. He goes back, graduates in 1948. And that's kind of it up until, you know, the infamous meeting with his in-laws where he becomes Christian. Am, are there any uh, – did I do broad strokes there? Is there anything to fill in or is that yeah. kind of it? Well, the biggie is that when he did return after uh, the war and went back to the Pasadena Playhouse, that's where he met his future wife. Oh, right. Yes. And, uh, and, and, of course, they marry and she lived up in Canada, uh, or at least her parents did, and that's where uh, he, they honeymooned. And where he was, uh, when he was up there, his in-laws basically forced him to listen to this fuller broadcast, yes, which was an evangelistic uh, uh, radio program, and that's where he had his big conversion moment. And what he brought to the table that no one else had brought was this, you know, let's have a war with Satan mentality. And uh, he was totally full guns as far as, you know, if you want to conquer Satan, you don't do it by turning the other cheek. You do it by going in there with guns blazing and the ammunition that he's firing off are these chick tracks. So it's a pretty interesting way that he looked at things. You know, one of the, you know, there's this funny character in King of the Hill. Uh, I, it's like Father Diaz, I think. His tagline is Vaya con Dios, right? And, and I love that because the idea of this militaristic priest it's always been just a cool theme in Westerns, you know, the person who's supposed to be religious and, you know, you think of that as being a peace-loving group and that they be, they're militaristic, but it's against evil, right? I, I, I don't know. I've always loved that juxtaposition. Those are like my favorite characters. Or or if they're also evil, like Night of the Hunter, you know. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. But it's a cool, it's just been a cool character for me. I've always loved that idea. Uh, but you mentioned, and this is cool, this may... Uh, to me, this is the most important part, and I think it's partly because I've started looking into this other project I was working on where um, 
you know, he he he's told by his in-laws, I think he's smoking and they don't like him smoking in the house. And so his in-laws say, hey, look, we want you to listen to this Christian radio station called the Old Fashioned Revival Hour. On Sunday morning, he listens to it. And in your book, uh, which I do have here for those looking at home, it's uh, I, I've The Art of Jack Chick. Uh, for those watching, we're going to do a little plug for it. It's great. I mean, it's just a fascinating book. I love going down it. But in that, you talk about how he um, basically starts listening to it in the morning. And by Sunday night, that night, he's begging for forgiveness on his kitchen, uh, in his kitchen floor. And this is one of those interesting things where people hearing the the right thing at the right time for them creates an entirely new existence for themselves, where in some ways they are not the same person in the evening that they were in the morning. And I think if someone hasn't had that type of revelation, it's hard to understand. But I believe Chick had something that was that profound. Am I right? Yeah, the uh, road to Damascus moment for him yes. was that evening. Yes. And uh, and he, ne- it did, he never fell from that. I mean, it, it changed him and it permanently changed him. And if anything, he just became stronger in his beliefs instead of weaker. And he took it all the way to the grave. Yeah, I, it's amazing. And so he starts uh, – I, I'm kind of confused as to where like illustration comes in because that's such a key part to this, right? But I know that you know he takes a job as a graphic artist. I'm probably you know passing over a couple things here. Uh, but he quits acting, takes a job at Astrospace as a graphic artist and writes uh, – was given a book called The Power on High. Uh, Charles Finney was the author. He's completely inspired by this. Starts writing cartoons. Why No Revival is his first one. And he couldn't publish it. Borrows $800 to self-publish. Was driving around. Sees a bunch of teenagers. And that inspires him to write his first tract. Yeah, The Demon's Nightmare. It's called The Demon's Nightmare. Yeah. And and that was basically his first soul-winning religious tract, right? Uh, and I think the owner ended up uh, – the owner of aerospace – Astrospace ended up paying for it. But that was his first – that was that was the first chick tract. That was 1962, I believe. Um, yeah. He, he had dabbled with cartoons all the way since first grade. He'd okay. He'd been doing right. a lot of drawing. And if you have his um, – uh, senior school yearbook from Alhambra uh, uh, High School. Yeah. You'll see that a lot of cartoons in there from Jack Chick as well. Interesting. Uh, so oh, somewhere cool. along, yeah. He, in fact, he did a, a pretty neat booklet at the Pasadena Playhouse called Pasadena Memories or something to that effect. Oh. And it's a very funny cartoons that he did of all the instructors cool. and various people <laughs> getting yelled at and stuff like that. So he had this this tendency. His father was a sign painter and he had worked for his father. Uh, for a number of years. And of course, in a lot of signs, they're going to have you do little characters and stuff like that. So he had been self-taught in this regard for quite a long time. So all the major ingredients were there. And somewhere along the line, long before he did the uh, Chick Tracks, he actually did a syndicated uh, newspaper uh, series called Times have changed? Question mark. Okay, and uh, he that. wasn't the writer, but he, it was kind of a uh, Flintstones kind of type of thing. Except it was before the Flintstones. Okay, and uh, or BC, you know, where basically a uh, caveman is encountering modern uh, problems that we have today <laughs> and dealing with them in historic senses. Right, and uh, those are pretty funny as well. So uh, this was a. It was he had all the ingredients to make the dynamite. He just needed the fuse to be lit. Right, and that's what happened that night uh, in in uh, Canada with that radio show. Right, that's amazing. That was his first one, and his second track 
was this is this was your life, which becomes, you know, like kind of out of the gate, he hits a home run, right? You know, his second, that's the best selling one he's ever done, you know, right out of the gate. And, you know, I think by 1972, he had done 12. And, you know, Fred Carter, you mentioned this kind of prolific artist comes along and then they start putting out like one every two months. And they've kind of continued that like schedule to modern day, I think. I mean, or pretty well, close. Well, there's to that. a reason for that. Okay. The reason they want to do one every two months is because that's when the uh, Mormons uh, do their rounds. They're expected to do the rounds every couple of months. Okay. So they figure in order to compete with them, they need to also do their rounds wow. every two months. That is and uh, now that Fred Carter and uh, Jack Chicken both passed on, I think that two month thing sort of, they do put on another track, but it's a lot of times recycled. Because uh, David Daniels is drawing now, and he's not near as fast as Jack Chick was. Got it. But, you know, they may get another artist to help him out at some point, and then we may see a return of that two-month cycle. I, well, I looked on their website. They actually have been doing – I think the one for May was actually a reprint of a book. But the one before is um, – it's one about science. Oh, my God. It was right on the tip of my tongue. Yeah. But that was in March, I think. They're March. And they had one in – Trust the Science. Trust the Science. Is what it was yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so they're still doing it, which, which is kind of crazy. So just really quickly, one of the things – there are a couple things that make – you know, that make Chick Tracks unique. And they kind of have what I would call the Dee Dee Reese model. And so anyone who's gone and to UCLA knows exactly what I'm talking about. For for those who haven't, Dee Dee Reese is this very popular ice cream shop by UCLA that sells cookies for, or that used to sell them for like a quarter or a dime. And then you could pay a little extra for ice cream. But the goal was to sell a lot of cookies at a very small margin. And that's how they made a bunch. I mean, there's lines around the block for this, but it was all volumes, volume business. And they kind of did that as well. The Chick Tracks, I think they're 14 cents or something. They're very cheaply produced. The margin is slim. You know, it's not none, but it's pretty slim, but one or two cents per. And they just work on volume, selling a billion of these things. That's kind of the the model for these. And they're kind of, you you mentioned some of the formulas that are in them where it's, there's the, the formulas are basically like, I used to be one where you have someone who used to be in a group and now he's talking about the dangers of that group and why you shouldn't. Uh, there's the last minute saving where, you know, right before someone's about to die, they get saved. Uh, there's a dog, I think, Fang, who shows up in a lot of these. A lot of them are self-referential where they have, you know, they kind of refer to their own chick tracks in the chick track itself. Uh, so this is this is kind of cool. So the, I think that and the campy language, uh, it's kind of outdated. It's, you know, hilariously outdated. You know, even Fred Carter, I think, had a lot of 70s slang in there, like calling people jive turkeys and stuff. We're right up my alley here. Uh, jive turkeys. Jive, <laughs> yeah, I love that. So, you know, I think all of this stuff, I think I've kind of nailed, is that kind of chick tracks in their appeal in a nutshell? Yeah, and there's so much more, too. I right. mean, uh, the fact that they're constantly changing their tracks. They're always, like, updating them. But the way that they're updating it's like they'll take it from 1950 and they'll update it to 1960, <laughs> you know? So, but, but people, like, it's the Infinity Series. Collect them all. Sure, sure. Uh, there may only be 300 titles, but then you get all the variations. Right. There's hundreds and hundreds of them. Right, so, right. It's amazing. Very amusing. And you're doing a great job with the chick tracks and the reprints. And I don't want to speed through the tracks themselves, but I, I we we're speeding through this interview and we haven't even talked to the three people who he brings on board. We got to hit them because the, this conspiracy theories, you know, I love a good conspiracy theory, not the ones that damage the nation, but I like a good conspiracy right. theory that are relatively harmless. Now I wouldn't say that his are harmless. 
Uh, I think a lot of them were harmful in some ways. Uh, and, and, but let's start with John Todd, who I think is the most interesting character. Well, that's hard to say. They're all kind of interesting. But he's kind of interesting. So in a nutshell, uh, broad strokes, he claimed his mom was a witch. Uh, he was brought into the order, claimed to be a druid of the highest order, knew about the Illuminati and their thought of a new world order. Uh, and he basically turns on them, goes to Jack and says, I know all the inner workings here. They're the ones running things. We got to take them down. Is that kind of the be- Yes. Is you, it close? Uh, you definitely want to include his middle name, though. It's John Wayne Todd. <laughs> so he's got that. Oh, God. That extra oomph to his sure, name. Sure, sure. And uh, when he came to Jack Chicken, uh, you know, it's interesting, too, because he later on, uh, you know, he became a Christian and he went and did all these uh, uh, cassette tape ministries and public speaking and of course inspired not one not two but three full color comics by jack chick which are wonderful comics they're probably some of the best that he did but when it was all said and done he went back to witchcraft and he ended up uh going to jail for for rape so it's sort of like well he's been debunked (laughs) well has he right you know after all i mean his whole thing if you're the devil and you want to discredit someone what better way to do it than to get them to go back into the craft Right. And he, he admitted that he backslid. So to Jack Chick, you know, everybody says, oh, you can't believe John Todd. He, he ended up going to jail for rape. But Jack Chick is sort of like, that proves exactly everything that he was saying. Right. The Illuminati, the witchcraft, they were casting spells on him. I mean, he was working against the, the Satan. He just didn't have the power to to uh, fight them off. So it corrects itself. <laughs> this conspiracy feeds on itself. Right. And, it you know, there's no way to disprove it. Uh, but his... His uh, conspiracy theories were really out there. I mean, uh, he believed that John F. Kennedy was still alive and that he mm. was he had visited John F. Kennedy on his yacht after he had supposedly been uh, assassinated. Uh, in fact, he claimed wow. to be John F. Kennedy's personal warlock at one point. Really? So, uh, you know, he, his sensational uh, claims were so far out there that of all the gurus that Jack Chick had, you could argue that his were the most obviously uh, false ones. But if you accept the premise that the Illuminati is basically being led by Satan, it's not beyond the the scope of possibilities, which also makes it fun. Well, the other thing that's worth mentioning with Jack, Jack, uh, with John Todd is that all the guys, his are the most X-File-esque conspiracies. (laughs) I mean, they are really, you know, Satan is really, they're, Secret covens, sure, uh, right. people, the librarian, you know, presses the button like they're now entering the library. You know, everybody put on their, <laughs> the their nice behavior. Yeah. So it's just so sinister and, and cloak and daggerish. Yeah. It's really delightful. I mean, H.P. Lovecraft would have loved some of this stuff. And he had a big impact. He went on a lot of the – if you remember uh, in the 1970s, which you weren't around then, but in the 1970s, we had a whole series of these uh, record burnings. Mm-hmm. John Todd was the guy who inspired that. Right. They were taking uh, – the Beatles came out, and John Lennon said, we're more popular than Jesus. It was John Todd who started the burnings of uh, Beatles records. And he said, you know, no, you're not more popular than Jesus. Wow. In fact, rock and roll is all satanic, yeah. and we should burn it. Well, the thing about that that I thought was interesting is he believed that Satanists had infiltrated the music business and put spells into the records. And this was the whole time when if you play a record backwards, they would say things. And you had a lot of, like Alice Cooper's and your Ozzy Osbournes who claimed to be, you know, 
Ozzy Osbourne still says he's the the, the uh, Prince of Darkness. And so you had this idea that there were all of these spells and they were hypnotizing children. And Dungeons and Dragons was hit. You know, one of the famous tracks is uh, Dark Dungeons, which I hope to pick up my very own copy when I stop by Chick Publications. Uh, and he spoke out against Star Wars. Uh, I mean, you know, this is this is wild. Uh, you know, he was a really interesting character. And as you mentioned, he disappears in 1980. No one knows where he is. You know, he caught a case uh, of rape uh, incest, I think, in, with his niece as well. Uh, so an unscrupulous character, to say the least. But was he wrong? Was he not? Was it Satan's minions? I don't know. That is the cool thing about conspiracy theories is that if you say that most powerful people are against you, then they can do anything. Then anything that happens to you can be explained by them, which is a, a fascinating parachute, backdoor parachute, right? And, of course, he can always say, you know, I wasn't really the one who raped her. Right. The devil made me do it's it. Super you know? easy. So he, he- <laughs> super easy. Super easy. Uh, so he's so he's one of these guys. And at the same time, there's a, a gentleman named Alberto Riviera who comes along. And I believe Alberto and John met at some point um, because essentially – Alberto's claim is that it's not the Illuminati, it is the Vatican, the Catholic Church. And Alberto was a former Jesuit priest. And, you know, as John Todd's things fall out of favor and Alberto's come into favor, the the chick tracks, you mentioned these variations, start to change from the Illuminati did it and now being rewritten to the Vatican did it. And this is an interesting character. So I want to hear a little bit more about him. And if you could weave into that, you make a really interesting case in your book where he does have the official records, he does have official paperwork, and nothing he said was ever really discredited. And in some ways, the Vatican being the enemy is a much more realistic, tangible enemy than the Illuminati, which is an ephemeral kind of group of powerful Mm -hmm. people. So I thought this was a very interesting take on it. Well, uh, for starters, uh, one of the interesting things about Alberto was that he didn't come in and say, John Todd's wrong. Mm. He basically said... John Todd's only telling you part of the story. Right. Yes, the Illuminati is doing all these things, but the Illuminati isn't the one that's the the puppet master. The puppet master is the Black Pope, and the 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 Jesuits who are running the uh, behind the scenes action of the Vatican. And I know because I worked for them. My job was to become an official Protestant so that I could work within the Protestant churches and undermine them and sabotage them. Right. And of course, when he hears this, when Jack Chick hears this, he says. I know people just like that in my church that were, I mean, you would think that they were trying to hurt uh, our, our cause rather than help it. You know, they get in there and they have uh, minister services and everything. And the next thing you know that they're, they're sleeping with members of their own congregation and stuff like that. And they destroyed the church from the inside out. It all makes sense now. And it does kind of make sense. You know, you have to wonder how these men of God uh, would do these things if they possibly how could they believe in God and be doing these things? I want to pause you. And this, in f- for context, this is before the Catholic Church, the Catholic priests were outed. So what you're saying to some people listening may sound hypocritical, but this is way before that was exposed. And not only that, but that what you just described was the big club that they used to beat Alberto for close to 30 years. They said he's a total quack. He actually believes that the he, he accuses the Catholic ministers of molesting children for Christ's sake. Right, right, you know, if there's one right. thing that you can rest assured yeah. that our celibate priests don't do right. is molest the children. <laughs> and then it turns out it's right, true. Right. So, Very you know, true. either he's either he knew or he was lucky or, you know, it, it is hard to explain how they put their finger on the pulse of that. <laughs> yeah. uh, perhaps he was molested by one of the, the ministers himself, or not ministers, priests. Right, yeah. uh, but uh, it certainly uh, 
they, they wish that people would forget that he made that claim. But no, it's right there in his Alberto comic books. Jack Chick did not three comic books for Alberto. He did five comic books for Alberto. Yes. And this is what really got uh, Jack Chick in trouble because probably the first big controversy he did was when he put out in 1972 The Gay Blade, which was a little track that uh, told people that homosexuality was a sin and that if you wanted to avoid going to hell, you needed to repent of that and accept Jesus as your personal savior. Well, if he had published that in any place other than San, uh, Los Angeles, he might have gotten away with it. But, you know, suddenly he's getting the, the death threats and the, the bomb threats and people are calling his material hate lit. You mentioned you actually slept and you almost said San Francisco there. That is the place where I think that would yeah. also happen. <laughs> so L.A., San Francisco, yeah, yeah. probably a big no, no. No, no, definitely. And uh, later on, though, uh, that that controversy seemed mild in comparison to what happened when he took on the Catholic Church, because when you start calling another uh, Christian denomination satanic, uh, even though some people would argue, well, it's not, it's not Protestant, so it's not really Christian. That's not what the Catholics think, right. you know. And uh, a lot of the Christian bookstores sell both Catholic and Protestant materials. Yeah. So suddenly you have people coming in there and saying, why are you selling these books that are calling our religion satanic? Yes. And it, it got Jack Chick to lose, uh, he said, two-thirds of all his distributors uh, uh, closed down, and he was losing $30,000 a month in sales as a result of uh, boycotts uh, presented by the uh, the uh, Catholics. And most people might, might think, well, gee, maybe I better kiss and make up. But Jack Chick says, see, this is proof, exactly what I was talking about. Once I expose them, they're trying to destroy right. me, and uh, we have to double down. And so he gets approached by his landlord at that time when he's losing $30,000 a month, and he says, Jack, you've been asking me if I had more space for you, that you wanted to expand. Good news. I now have twice the size that you're using available right behind you. You want to sign a lease? And Jack Chick says, hell no, I'm about to go bankrupt. But, but wait a minute. I better pray about mm -hmm. it. So he prays about it, and the Lord says yes. And he goes and he signs a lease, even though he's losing $30,000 a month. And lo and behold, he discovers this new technology, which nobody even knew about at the time, called the Internet. Yeah which supposedly allows people to order things directly from you without having to, you know, they can see the material, they can see pictures of it and everything, and bypass all the middlemen. Nobody knew about this. To show you how early it was, he got the domain name chick.com <laughs> before the pornographers even that's did. A, that's I mean, amazing. Before the porn I mean, th that yeah. should tell you everything you need to know just how early he got into it. The pornographers were jumped on the internet quickly. Chick.com. Oh, yeah. That would have been the first domain to go. Right. Yeah. The second one, yeah, just amazing. And I will tell you, and I will tell you, I don't mean to interrupt, but I will tell you one other thing. I looked up chicks.com. Now that one's owned by the pornographers. So, so <laughs> does that tell you how quickly they wanted to snatch it up? Yeah, you have to wonder how many people were trying to go to chicks.com and wound up on right. chick.com yeah. and it changed their life. Well, of course, the reverse is probably also happening. Very true. So he got into doing the internet and he actually ended up making up for all those lost sales and then some more. Right. So it's almost like Forrest Gump. You know, you every mistake you make boomerangs and helps you in the end. And, you know, you have to say, well, is it because he's just divinely stupid? Or is it because somebody out there has their finger on the scale and they're helping him? You really have to wonder. He can't seem to do any wrong. I will tell you, that is what I love about this story, Kurt, is that 
it is such a great story. And I feel like we're speeding through it. And I feel really bad. I, I really encourage everyone listening, watch you watch your, your movie, God's Cartoonist, pick up the book, The Unofficial Guide to the Art of Jack Chick, because to get this full story is just incredible. Because, I mean, you, there's a, a there's a guy that Alberto teams up with who claims he supplies the Vatican with disappearing ink. Uh, you know, the the uh, you mentioned that the the impressive breadth of fiction with Alberto's stories is amazing and its level of consistency. You almost can't prove this stuff wrong. How Jack missteps and it, it seems to improve his chances and he only makes more money by goofing up. I, I mean, what a story. Uh, I mean, just incredible. And that guy you just mentioned, George, uh, his name is uh, Gerald uh, Buffard. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was a bishop. Yep, doctor. Now he's a, a doctor because he's no longer a bishop. But he, he, could, he had mass with, uh, you know, he was one of the uh, helpers of John Paul uh, delivering mass in Mexico, and they had pictures of him alongside John Paul performing mass. Wow. And he says, I worked in the Vatican for uh, seven years, and with this gold pen and its disappearing ink, I signed the order to have Alberto assassinated. Right, yes. And I repent of that now, but, you know, we did this and we tried to have him killed, and eventually we did get him killed. Yeah. And he ends up eventually meeting up with Alberto's uh, widow and apologizing for that. So, you know, you have to sit there. You, you know, there's there's basically only three explanations for this right. stuff. Either it's uh, a, a, a complete lie or or it's a complete delusion. Yes. Or it's true. Right. And it's one of those three. Yeah. Maybe it's even a little bit of a blend of some of it. It's a delusion and it's partially true, but it's also a little bit of a lie. You know, it could be all three. Uh, You just don't know. Well, that's the thing I think that's so interesting about all this stuff is that this is the brilliance. You mentioned the X-Files. You mentioned a blend. You know, this whole idea of disinformation. You know, the CIA. I happen to be a a UFO believer. And a lot of the stuff we're, we're hearing now proves what people were saying for the past 40 years, which is interesting, right? And so when you put out... Yeah, it only now comes you out. Put out... You put out a little bit of truth with a lot of fiction makes people believe things and it screws up your your it, where you're calibrated as far as the truth goes. And I think a lot of that happened here with Alberto and John Todd and with the last person, Rebecca Brown, who's another fascinating character here. And she was a medical doctor who basically believed that her patients were possessed, started doing exorcism, believed that witches were involved uh, in, in the hospital and getting people sick, produced a series of tapes where she, you know, called the closet witches, helps him create some tracks. She's an interesting character in her own right. Uh, and she, you know, she completes oh, yeah. this divine or unholy trinity, however, whatever your perspective is, of these people who influence Jack. Yeah, in a lot of ways, each guru gets a little better than the previous guru okay. as far as their credentials are concerned. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Rebecca Brown's credentials are the best of the batch. Uh, she was a phenomenal athlete in high school. She had the best time for running. She had a Juilliard uh, scholarship uh, for piano if she wanted to pursue it, but instead she wanted to become a nurse. But then she wasn't satisfied with that. She became an actual doctor, which in medical uh, background, if you start out as a nurse and become a doctor, that's really something. That's a little bit like going into the Army and starting out as a grunt and then becoming an officer. Right. It's a lot more impressive than just going in as an officer. So she starts at the bottom. She works her way up to the top. And while she's at this hospital, she notices that there's a higher rate of death than, should, than there should be given the circumstances of what their conditions are and that a lot of these patients are delusional and they're – they're imagining that they're seeing demons and things like that. 
And she's shocked to discover that they actually are seeing demons. The demons are there because when she gets right with the Lord, she's able to see these demons as well. So she starts performing these exorcisms and driving them off. And she, she discovers this basically by encountering one patient in particular whose name was Elaine Moses. Mm-hmm. And Elaine Moses was an undercover witch who was, who was sent there to basically discredit Rebecca. But Rebecca ends up converting her to Christianity, and then Elaine Moses lays all this stuff out right. to her, almost like Alberto told uh, Jack right. Chick. So now she has the inside track, and she, uh, she basically stops becoming a doctor. They also kick her out from being a doctor because she's performing exorcists on, on patients. Right. That's and right. she becomes a full-time spiritual warrior. But uh, she's a best-selling author. She's uh, very articulate. Her books are well-written. It's a little hard to just say, ah, she's crazy. But, of course, you know, there's all sorts of uh, official debunking, uh, which is to say, you know, they discover drugs in her place and that sort of thing. But, of course, if you're part of Satan's henchmen and you want to discredit a person, how hard is it to plant drugs in their place? Right. You know? That's that's step number one. I mean, the cops have been doing cops that for do, years. Yeah, you know, that black all members. the time. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's interesting because a lot of the stuff, as you mentioned, there's real, you mentioned Forrest Gump, but it's actually a very apropos comparison because there are real life, uh, there's real life proof that all this happened. I mean, uh, Rebecca and Elaine show up on Geraldo. Right. I mean, I couldn't find the episode, mm-hmm. but there's, a, you know, it, this it's in real life. Right. I mean, this is bananas to me, as are the reports that, you know, she was her real name is actually Ruth Irene Bailey and that she was misdiagnosing patients as patients as possessed. But that a psychiatric board claimed that she was schizophrenic and suffered from religious delusions, where I think if you're on the non-religious side, you can see how that actually makes perfect sense. But if you're on this, yeah, and let's for the record, let's make okay. it clear: if Jesus Christ were to be analyzed by these psychiatrists, they would also declare that he was suffering, 100%. you know, these same delusions. Well, delusions of grandeur so, for sure, right? He's <laughs> saying you're the Son of God. Right. I mean, yeah, right, and and that's and that's fair. Uh, it, it, it's all a matter of perspective, right? And I think the one thing that I always like to do that we didn't do with John Todd is that you know you got to give context, you got to give historical perspective, which is a nuance that is lost. In today's modern world, and I would argue on now that I'm an old person on every, on our younger generations, right? I mean, this idea of what happened in history and the '70s were a very tumultuous time where all this stuff is happening. You know, uh, I had a list, but you've, you've got a president who's being kicked out of office. You've got you know conflict all over the world. You've got rising gas prices, mm-hmm. inflation. There's so everyone there's there's everyone's on unsure footing, and so the belief that there are unseen forces moving this stuff around. This is you know, and there's actually some. Some, some credibility to this. There's credibility that the CIA and our government, you know, as we look at now unclassified documents, they were doing some of this stuff that, you know, some of this stuff is going yeah. on, right? And so it adds that fiction to the, to the facts of the fiction. Yeah, it's not a conspiracy if they really are out to get you. <laughs> right. And, you know, we discover, you know, uh, uh, Kennedy gets assassinated and Martin Luther King gets yep. assassinated. Robert Kennedy yep. gets assassinated. That's a hell of a lot of coincidences. Yes. The CIA was involved to some extent. Do I believe that they assassinated? I don't know. But you can understand why people would think that they Absolutely. did. Certainly, uh, 
uh, the assassin gets killed before he's able to be tried. Right, you know, right. These things are very, very suspicious. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, are there conspiracies? Well, you can ask Woodward and Bernstein about that. They would say, Absolutely. yeah, there's conspiracies, and we proved it, and we got Nixon kicked out as a result yes. of it. So people have their uh, beliefs and authority figures and things that they took to be honest and truthful seriously undermined during that Absolutely. time. So somebody comes along and says, hey, you know what? This is just a small part of the puzzle. Guess what? There's a lot more to this. And they're very receptive to that. Yeah. And maybe they were right. And I think that that's how you mentioned, you know, that that I think Jack Chick and Chick Publications doesn't get a, a fair shake. And I think that that's accurate. And I think that part of that fair shake is saying, look, I understand how you can believe this stuff because the context is there. There's stuff I believe in that most people be like, ah, you're a little bit nuts. Like, am I, though? Am I nuts? You know, I mean, because as you mentioned, all those things you mentioned are real life proof of conspiracies that existed. Uh, but, you know, and, and just to finish up on Rebecca really quickly, she finished. So she writes base is kind of an interesting story really quickly where she writes a book. Jack Chick, Jack Chick rejects it. She ends up getting hooked up with him later on. Uh, she shows him. He says, do you have anything that you're working on? He says, she says, yeah, you actually rejected this manuscript that I wrote a couple years ago. He publishes it. Big success publishes a second book, huge success. Then she moves on and he just gives her, Yeah, I think he had kind of lost um, faith in her and gives her her manuscripts back, the rights to them. And she takes them to a whole nother publisher. And that third book was written by her husband, who also of, of a dubious origin and, and, uh, uh, and motivation. So tell me a little bit about that as we close up on Rebecca. Well, I wouldn't say that he lost faith in her. Okay. Uh, he prays before he uh, publishes all of her books, and even though her first two books were multimillion-dollar bestsellers, the third book he prays, and the Lord says no. And so she's all prepared to uh, uh, release this, but he says, I'm sorry, um, we're going to pass on this one. And that just uh, – she had 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 other publishers courting her for a long right. time. They were dying to get hold of her. And so she says, well, can I go with Whitaker? And he says, oh, absolutely. In fact, I'll give you the film. And he just makes it so easy for her. So they left on good terms and everything. But I find that that's another example where Chick knowingly, for people who would like, you know, how many times have we seen religious leaders who always err on the side of making money? <laughs> Jack Chick seems to do it the opposite, right. and then it ends up making him more money. Yeah. But in this instance, he definitely looked a gift horse in the mouth, yeah. in the mouth and let her go. And uh, there's no other explanation for that other than that he – was a true believer, and uh, he really does pray about these things, and that was the answer that he got. Now, I never got an answer to him, which is sort of like, well, God, uh, Jack, when you pray, does God, like, answer to you in yeah. a voice or what? He didn't answer that. He just says, you know, I pray and I know. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, like they say, uh, there's nothing wrong about speaking to God. That's not unusual. But when God speaks back to you, that's when people get a little worried. <laughs> right, yeah, right, right. But, you know, uh, I mean, this, but there's, you know, I in some way think that you hear this phrase that there's no such thing as coincidences, right? I mean, this dude was hitting, he was batting a thousand almost with every statistic in the world is rooting and, and going against him. And he not only succeeds, but he thrives. I don't know if there's something to this. Is he praying? Is he getting an answer? He's making what you would think would be ridiculous decisions, and they're working out for him, which to me just adds this level to this this level of mystery uh, to the story that I just I could not pull away from. 
I really couldn't. I was I fell down the rabbit hole here. You know, you call it the the chick universe 100 percent. You know, his tracks have their own world to them. He has his own world. You, you push me down a rabbit hole. I don't want to call you the white rabbit, but I followed you down for, for sure, Kurt. It's a little bit like um, you, you can't help but sort of cheer him on. Right. And uh, you end up. You see all these people who hate his guts, and there are a lot of people who hate his guts, and they're ch- they're just waiting to get that one moment where they can drag yeah. him down. And he just always seems Eludes to, capture. you know, it's almost like the the coyote and the roadrunner. <laughs> you, you can get it, you can get him to run over the cliff, but he just keeps going. And then when you follow him, you're the one who falls right. down. I mean, look at the. Southern Poverty Law Center, for yeah. example, they've been calling his material hate lit for yeah. years. And who was the fellow who ran that? Somebody named Dees. Sure. Uh, nuts. Lo and yeah. behold, Dees is the guy. He's, he's been attacking Chick for years and years and years. And then it's Dees who ends up having the scandal. And Dees is the one who gets kicked yeah. out. You know, so it's like his enemies are the ones who fall, not Jack yeah. Chick. He's just like just pure as a driven <laughs> snow <laughs> and incapable. If you paint, if you paint the cave on the side of the cliff. <laughs> He's going to go through that cave. I know. He's the roadrunner. He's the roadrunner. He really is. I mean, just a a great story. So we got to end it here, but I I cannot wait. We're going to do a bonus episode. It's going to be available. It's going to be podcast exclusive uh, on the podcast feed. Of course, you can check out the video here on our YouTube channel. Uh, But, you know, this is sensational. Uh, I I mean, I've loved every second of this, your book. Uh, Where can people find the book? Where can people see your movie? And, you know, I'm sure you've got a website that will lead you to all of the myriad things that you are involved in and the creative endeavors that you're doing. Well, we do have our uh, our collector's website called chickcomics.com. And that has a lot of information about Jack Chick, reviews of his tracks, uh, a lot of the variations listed. Uh, it has a link to the Chick Track Club for people who want to join that. And the Chick Track Club's main goal is to encourage you know freedom of the press. Uh, and Jack Chick seems to be the ultimate canary in the coal mine for that, because if you can support what Jack Chick says, clearly you believe in, you know, on uh, freedom of speech for speech's sake. You don't have to believe in what he believes. Right. As long as he's allowed to say these things, you have a pretty good uh, free press. So we have that. We have links uh, to our various, you know, uh, books and stuff like that. But you can also order them through Amazon. Uh, but the main thing to do is to remember the chick.com website that takes you directly to Jack Chick's website and you can order an all assortment pack of 130 140 different Chick tracks for 25 bucks that's like 19 cents per track they're all different it's almost like a, an instant mini collection there's still another 100 or so tracks beyond that to collect but boy what a way to jump start your collection and you will be entertained with those tracks just leave them on the your coffee table and watch the fireworks. <laughs> <laughs> well, and what about what about social media? Uh, well, we have a um, a Chick uh, uh, Jack Chick Museum of Fine Art webpage. Uh, that's pretty much just kind of information of uh, religious news, controversial religious news that occurs. You know uh, what's happening in Israel and things like that. And we always kind of default from the Jack Chick viewpoint. We don't argue any of the things that you know uh, occur from you know a politically correct standpoint or anything we just publish it and let the other people argue right. about it that's well, you have a thing. twitter and a facebook as well yeah no don't have a twitter uh, but the facebook is the one for the jack chick we that's actually called the jack chick museum of fine art on on facebook okay uh, and monster wax of course is where you get your your non-collect non-sports collectible cards as well yeah that's uh, basically halloween science fiction and horror cards yeah. in the terror tallahassee is the haunted house but you probably have to travel pretty far in order to enjoy Might be that. worth it for, for, from so. what I hear. Well, that's how we find all of your stuff. 
And of course, you can find this show on fascinatingnouns.com. Uh, our, our Twitter feed is at fascinatingnoun. Facebook, uh, we are at fascinatingnouns. And of course, you can find us, the video of this and my other projects, youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. Uh, this has been a, a wonderful conversation, Kurt. Uh, we I, Believe it or not, we barely scratched the surface. We're going to go a little bit deeper in our bonus episode where you went to Chick Publications, met the man himself. Uh, but for now, uh, for this, we are going to bid adieu. Thank you so much for everything that you've done and for taking so much time out for me today. No, thank you. I've had a, a wonderful time. Thank you. And I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a good night. Fascinating Nouns is a Glencoe production and is hosted and produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The show producer for this episode was Sarah Brandt. The Fascinating Nouns introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and E.A. Barrientos with music and sound design written and performed by E.A. Barrientos. And I'm guessing after listening to this, you never want to miss another episode. You're going to want to subscribe. We are on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. and We even have links right there on our show website, which is fascinatingnouns.com. You can find all the links right there. And let's say you don't have a favorite podcasting platform. That's no problem. You can listen to every episode right there on the website, which is once again, fascinatingnouns.com. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter. It's a great way to learn more about the episodes that you're listening to, find out about upcoming episodes, and to just keep in touch with the community. It's right there on the website. And speaking of community, there's no better way to stay in touch than on social media. And you can find links to our show's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube pages right there on the front page of FascinatingNouns.com. And speaking of YouTube, there's a video version of this episode there right now, uh, as well as other past episodes and all future episodes. It's going to be right there, youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. It's a great way to see all the guests and, uh, you know, check it out live and in person. Feel like you're there in studio. Great way to do it, youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And finally, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to DanielJGlenn.com and check out all of my projects and see what's going on. Once again, thank you for listening. End of transmission.